Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about writing the other. I'm your prepared host, Jay Scarity, And I'm the host is winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic a half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. Let's get into it. So yeah, this first one. Some, oh, go ahead. Yeah. First, some background. We've, um, we've read the book writing the other as a, a writing group probably i don't know a year and a half ago maybe even two years ago pushing two years yeah yeah, yeah i don't even remember of course that's not a surprise that i don't remember <laughs> um so the the book for those who don't know um is about nisi shawl and cynthia ward um and they have a website with some really great resources on it that we'll link in our show notes. Um, but it's a, it's a great writing guidebook about um, sort of how to start out writing about identities that are different from your own identity. Yeah, definitely a jumping off point, um, which they even say in the book, like, Hey, this is mm -hmm. just the beginning. Like this is not, going to do all of the work yeah. for you. This isn't going to guide you through the entire process that you need to go through. Um, and I, I think it was a really valuable um, resource in that regard. And although it does get a lot of crap for not being perfect and people are always like, oh, but you know, you need so much more than that. Well, yeah, that's what they said. So yeah. no surprise yeah. there. And you know, that's why they have this website with, um, resources from lots of different people not just it's not just these two people you know giving their own opinion on, on how things should be done they're looking at what lots of different authors and mm -hmm. um, people from different cultural backgrounds and and different identities are saying about uh, cultural appropriation and um, harmful stereotypes and all of those things and the opinions do differ. So one disclaimer for anyone who wants to get into any sort of content creation is you will not ever be able to please everybody. Yeah. You will make someone mad. It's yeah. unavoidable. Um, the best thing you can do is make the true effort and, and put real research real conversations with people from those groups um, put that effort in and then at that point you know you just have to let go of the fact that some people aren't gonna like the way yeah. that you did it yeah and it, it's gonna be interesting because you're gonna get you're gonna get pushback from people who are not even from the group that you're representing yeah <laughs> you know saying all kinds of crazy stuff too so it's it's um it's gonna be different um mm -hmm. And it's absolutely necessary. Like we need to see more characters of all kinds of different backgrounds and types. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, our world is a very diverse place and yet our fiction is not representing that for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's something that's what inspired uh, Nisi Shaw and Cynthia Ward to write this book. Um, they talk about uh, in the beginning of the book and on their website, um, they were teaching a, a workshop or they, they were attending a workshop um, I believe in 1992. And one of the students expressed that it's a mistake to write about people of ethnic backgrounds different from your own because you could get it really horribly wrong. It could be offensive. Um, so don't even try. That's a paraphrase of that, of that story that they share. And this opinion, especially in the 90s, was really commonplace. Like if you're a white author, don't try and write black characters or Native American yeah. characters, um, sorry, indigenous characters. There's kind of been this idea that if it's not your lived experience, then you shouldn't write about it. But then what happens is, you know, most of the authors that get the most attention and the most publicity are white authors. And so then you have this um, saturation of white characters in a world that is diverse and the books do not reflect reality. And, you know, people from minority groups are reading these books and they're not seeing themselves represented, which is a yeah. shame. Yeah. You know, I, and it, it's all kinds of different groups. It's not just, you know, an ethnicity mm -hmm. base. I mean, there's, there's ability, yeah. there's, um, I'll go ahead and say a disability, mental disability, such as, you know, mm -hmm. the one, the stuff that I struggle with. There's a whole range of things, um, including mm -hmm. professions actually as well. Um, yeah. And if you're writing a character of um, a background that is not pr pretty much identical to your, your own, you should probably sit down um, with somebody, have a couple conversations and, and, mm -hmm. and ask for some, some good beta reading um, and eventually, um, what's it called? Sensitivity reading. Yeah. Like, hey, did we? Readers. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to have to explain that one a bit more because I think you've got more experience with it. Than yeah, I I've used I've used a sensitivity reader. Um, first of all, always pay your sensitivity readers. Yeah. It's huge emotional labor for them to read your stuff, so pay them well. Um, I had a sensitivity reader for Weight of Gold because I have a black character in weight of gold and she is the friend of one of my white characters and i didn't want to um do the offensive black best friend who moves the plot of the white character forward kind of deal yeah. um so this character had her own story arc and yeah. my white character was more like part of her story rather than the other way around yeah. um and my purpose in including a black character was because uh, this part of the story took place in Alabama and you just wouldn't not have, not have a yeah, black character. Exactly. It just exactly. wouldn't make sense. And it took place in the 70s when there was a lot of things going on with the civil rights movement and uh, my character's husband was a lawyer. So it just like made sense to, to address yeah. this. Um, and I didn't want to make this book about 
civil rights movement because I don't think that's my story to tell. Yeah. But I did want a diverse cast of characters and I wanted to not ignore the fact that that was going on in that time period. Yeah. Um, because I feel like that, you know, strays into the territory of just not writing the other because you don't want to do it wrong or be offensive. And I may have done it wrong. That's very possible. Yeah. Um, my sensitivity reader um, gave me a couple notes and I, I took those notes and I applied them. And, um, you know, I if I had the overhead at the time, I probably would have hired a couple more or a few more sensitivity readers because again everybody's gonna have a different reaction to something and, mm -hmm. and feel a little differently about it um but at that in my situation i could only afford the one and i did want to make sure that i compensated yeah. um, people well for their emotional labor yeah yeah i um, agree i yeah i think that's a good thing now and and like the flip side like you know the the other end of the scale um lovecraft lovecraft country which follows a um a family of color um and a group and their friends through all of these really crazy magical um adventures basically was written by a white guy mm -hmm. entirely um and he's actually just published a sequel or he's got a sequel to the original book coming out soon. Um, so, you know, dear God, I hope he used, you know, a lot of help with mm -hmm. that. A lot of, you know, expert um, opinion or, you know, opinions of people who have actually lived that life. So mm -hmm. and it seemed like he definitely did a lot of research, um, which helps. But then you have to understand how that those you know data points so that information on the page is actually lived out in, in people's lives and that's yeah, where the yeah. that's where the the professional you know the, the sensitivity reader or the the reader beta reader mm -hmm. um would come in yeah yeah um so there's a few different you know topics i want to make sure we touch on okay one of them you already mentioned um there's more ways to be othered than just with ethnicity and race mm -hmm. and uh this isn't an exhaustive list but in the book writing the other um nisi and, and cynthia use the acronym roars mm -hmm. r-o-a-a-r-s and those uh stand for race orientation ability age religion and sex and those are kind of the most pervasive or what our our culture and society in the u.s consider the most important ways to to be other um and there's something that we call the unmarked state in writing mm -hmm. unmarked state would be the uh, majority the dominant paradigm of each Me. of those categories <laughs> me <laughs> well not except for ability right um, yeah. Yeah. But most people looking at me or even having a conversation right, with me right. wouldn't know that. Um, yeah, I've got yeah. friends who are like, wait, you're seriously, you're bipolar. Like I, I never would have known. Like, mm -hmm. well, thanks. That means I'm, I'm doing <laughs> a lot better than I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And, uh, it's weird <laughs> mm -hmm. knowing so, 
yeah, knowing that you know, like whomever I write that that isn't basically like me, I have to put a lot more thought into yeah, it. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, unmarked state, race, white. Yeah. Obviously, orientation, straight, ability. Uh, a, a neurotypical and and yeah. um, no disability, age. Um, you get a lot of, of stories of people in their twenties yeah. and that's kind of the dominant age that you get in this unmarked state in literature, uh, religion, Christianity, that's mm -hmm. the dominant religion, um, and sex, of course, male. Yeah. So, uh, when you're talking about roars, it's good to identify what your own are. And if you do have any that differ from that dominant unmarked state then that's a good indication of the kind of stories that you can start writing yeah. because writing your own differences into your work is one of the best ways to create diversity in literature um, while you're still learning how to write and learning yeah. how to um, diversify even more um, so like for me with weight of gold obviously i'm a woman um, so I, I used that uh, religion. I, I had some kind of, uh, there was a storyline of kind of a, a leaving of Christianity, leaving it behind um, ability. Obviously the whole book is about mental health. <laughs> right. Um, and then orientation. I have a character in that book who's bipolar, or, sorry, not bipolar, bisexual. Um, and I'm bisexual. And so that's what I started with is writing mm -hmm. these experiences that are similar to my own. And then with my thesis novel, I'm taking it a step further and I'm writing a character who is lesbian and a character who's not binary and kind of pushing it a little further now that I've had the experiences I'm, I live, my lived experiences kind of under my belt. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting to me with this is that my original thesis was going to be the steampunk war story that you read, mm -hmm. like the battle scene from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the main character, the prospective character, is actually going to be a um, an ace, uh, asexual, aromantic woman. And it was pointed out to me that I, you know, I haven't really earned that kind of credibility yet. And it was mm -hmm. like, you know, at first I was like, well, what the, oh, and and I thought about it for a little bit and I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense, you know, because mm -hmm. even though my my intentions and, you know, me myself, I, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm pretty good about these kinds of things and my attentions would be good. Um, you know, I could seriously be looked at it as just another white guy trying to tell everybody else how they are. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, you know, part of me was kind of hurt by it and it kind of sucked. But at the same time, it, it, it absolutely makes sense. So mm -hmm. as an odd aside, one time a friend of mine pointed out that what but means is what I just said is bullshit. So this is really what I mean. So even though it sucked, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, not really. I mean, it's just the way it is. And it's just something that I have to I have to continue to work on. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't have that credibility yet, which is completely honest and a, yeah. a really good assessment of where I am in my in my career. Yeah it's a it's a learning curve and it takes practice and nobody is perfect at it um 
on the writing the other website they say oh, there was something i read that was like it's a it's a well-known truth that every writer is gonna f up at some point <laughs> <laughs> yep we are everyone <laughs> yep does something at some point to offend a group of people and it's unavoidable especially if you're in the public eye yeah and what matters is how you handle it when you know you effed up yeah how do you apologize how do you make amends yeah um and how do you do better next time yeah so you know taking it slow easing it in there's nothing wrong with that you don't need to with your very first novel you ever write um have characters of every race every orientation every ability all in one book and that's actually kind of one of the worst things you can do because then it just comes across as you're checking off a box of diversity yeah um for your own benefit rather than actually seeking to diversify your cast because it's something that's important to you and because it's an accurate representation of actual humanity yeah and i mean just you know keep in mind that sometimes you just want to create this character because you think that would be the most interesting character that was my Mm -hmm. idea with this Mm -hmm. with this character is that i thought she would just be fascinating you know in a steampunk setting in the 1860s she's someone who's absolutely not interested in any kind of a relationship Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how the rest of society would see her, they would call her frigid and all this other stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, which just isn't really particularly fair. And, uh, actually one of the authors that has been accused of, of kind of maybe using it for personal gain, um, is SM Sterling who wrote the Nantucket books where the Island of Nantucket and the U S coast guard ship, uh, it's a sailing ship. The Eagle gets thrown back in time to like the bronze ages and the um, one of the main characters is a um, a black woman who happens to be a lesbian, who is the captain of the U.S. Coast Guard ship, the Eagle. And she's actually hands down one of my favorite characters. But I'm sure. Well, no, not even I'm sure. I know there's a lot of criticism from both sides about mm-hmm. that character. Like, oh, you were just checking off boxes in 98 when this was starting to be published, I think, or 97 or something. Um, you know, he, he's been accused of, of quite a few things. Um, and he very well may be guilty about, I haven't, you know, followed through with, I haven't like dug into a whole lot of this just yet, Mm -hmm. but it just goes to show, you know, you could be an author for quite some time and the book could be out for a really long time and you're going to get, you're going to get judged by today's standards. Um, you know, uh, another Mm -hmm. great example of that. Yep. Um, and it can be really murky, the, yeah. that difference, in the same way that it can be murky of what people feel this is cultural appropriation versus um, this is cultural exchange or just, you know, trying to show diversity in your work. Um, and then what should be okay for people in unmarked states to write and what stories need to belong to that group and Mm -hmm. just amplify their voices and telling those stories. Yeah. There's a lot of different lines there and those lines are all really blurry and everyone has a different opinion Mm -hmm. on what those lines are. But as far as, um, are you just checking that diversity box is concerned? 
I mean, that's what you have to ask yourself. Are you including these characters just because you want to check that box of being diverse? Or are you including those characters because that is who those characters are? Yeah. They're well-rounded, real human being, and they that is part of their identity. That's included in their identity. And yeah. One of the th things you kind of have to do to ensure that's happening is you need to make sure that it's not just in their description. You need to have that be part of their their characterization throughout yeah. the entire book. Because if you're writing a gay character, being gay is something that comes up regular on a regular basis in people's lives. It's not something that they just acknowledge and then they can forget about for yeah. months at a time and be like, oh yeah, that's right, I'm gay. Like, no, it's it's part of your life on a daily basis. And yeah. And things happen on a regular, very frequent basis to remind you that you're different from, you know, the dominant paradigm and to, you know, be part of your life. Like you're going to be dating. You're going to see a man you find is attractive and think about that. So your character needs to be doing those things, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. Um, I'm not going to give you super hard time about this, but it's interesting that you kind of slid into unmarked state when you said gay and then man rather than, you know. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'm one of those uh, people who I, I kind of differentiate gay oh, and lesbian gotcha, as that. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> um, I know. And, and yeah, it doesn't bother me necessarily when people use gay for either one. And it's um, but I consider that more slang. And when I'm having a more like a less casual conversation i usually use those terms as gendered sure makes yeah. sense i'm 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 actually starting to become a bit of a fan of how we're not gendering things so much anymore like mm -hmm. you know 20 years ago you know women who acted would be called actresses now quite often they just prefer them to call themselves actors and i'm mm -hmm. i'm all for it you know um yeah. Not because I think it's this giant big social movement or anything along those lines. I just think if they're if somebody's more comfortable with referring to themselves in a specific way, let's go for it. You know. Mm -hmm. Um so Yeah, and that's something I mean, I would have to talk to people and I would have to do some research on because yeah. um I mean my information could be very outdated. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm going off of, you know, ex things that were expressed in the community years and years ago about yeah um lesbians being called gay and and using kind of a male term so broadly but um yeah that's true that recently they've been trying to like non-gender these things and um the the difficult thing with it is uh you're then taking a term that was traditionally male and that's the you know mm -hmm. default right but we unfortunately in the english language don't have um genderless terms in that way and people are trying to create them but that is going to take a very long time to become a normal part of human yeah. speech and conversation so yeah it's one of those things that yeah one of those things everyone's gonna have a different opinion on <laughs> oh yeah and yeah and that that makes it just you know I, again i think it just kind of enriches life you know because you mm. have to you have to just kind of take people where they're at and then run with it and um yeah. you know as we've said you're gonna 
no matter what you do, you're going to end up pissing people off. So go ahead mm-hmm. and just do it anyway. Um, yeah. With yeah. with compassion. And yes. Not not like yeah. saying, oh, I don't care about that you were hurt by this. You know, you're not disregarding or invalidating their feelings um, when, you know, you did do the best you could and you did the best um, possible in order to offend the least amount of people um, that doesn't invalidate the people who are hurt by that yeah. because everyone has different lived experiences. Even if they're in the same roars group, um, even if everything in their roars is exactly the same, their race is the same orientation, ability, age, religion, even if it's all the same between two different people, they grew up differently and they have different paradigms and different perspectives on the world yeah. and different traumas. And those things can come up in different ways. So yeah. any any of the hurt feelings, all of that stuff is completely valid. And even if you did everything you could to not hurt anyone and you do hurt someone, you need to take responsibility for it, even if it was unavoidable. And And this is where I'd like to point out, you know, what I mentioned earlier with profession. Your profession is kind of a big deal, your background. I mean, and it's Mm -hmm. such a rich thing that you want to keep in mind. Um, You know, and and a great example of this that I just keep going back to is there's a writer who keeps writing Marine characters, uh, U.S. Marine characters, and um, the writer was in the U.S. Army. And he's writing these Marine characters as though they're Army characters. Like the language Mm -hmm. is entirely Mm -hmm. different lingo the way yeah. certain things work that you know it, it mm-hmm. it's all just entirely different and it's like dude come on like yeah get a technical reader if you don't want to call it a sensitivity reader fine call it a technical reader and get it done because yeah. you're screwing this up and it's really kind of mm-hmm. sad yeah and with things like that where there's a really strong um culture in mm-hmm. those groups that is something that you want to really do your research and 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 talk to people who are from that that specific group because even beyond those kind of main categories you can still get um different kinds of groups that have a really strong culture yeah and anytime you have that you want to yeah look into it and that that was kind of where i was going with the point is like that character is basically the exact roars group as i Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the possibility, well, with, with a slightly different ability, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can kind of skate past that one, but yet, um, you know, I know that he's not being presented as a genuine Marine. So mm-hmm. it's like, come on, but yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of tricky. And as we've said, no matter what you do, you're going to end up ticking mm-hmm. somebody off. So, you know, it's better to tick somebody off for trying than not trying, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these situations in real life, the way to go about it is talking to the people in your life and asking them what you prefer to be called, what do you prefer um, f- for this, and and how do you feel about this? Um, because it's the people that are directly in your life that it's going to impact the most. Um, so it's a it's a difficult thing when you're an author and you're writing for a huge audience, and you're trying to think of you know find the main, you know, overall consensus about um, how people, how a certain group feels about it. Yeah. And it's challenging. It yeah. is. 
but that doesn't mean we don't try. Well, and I think I think that's one of the reasons our our society is having such a big backlash about this is because it's mm-hmm. different and that's hard. You know, one of the things that we're our species is really good at is pattern recognition and if something breaks a pattern it makes us uncomfortable. And that's mm-hmm. a survival mechanism, you know, like that's how we figure out that the panther there is going to dart across the, uh, excuse me, the cheetah is going to run across the savanna and grab us, you know, what when mm-hmm. we leave the uh, the protection of the rest of our of our tribe, mm-hmm. um, and and so that stuff is hardwired into our brain, so we have to work around it. We have to figure out how to deal with it, and you know, I find often that my my initial reaction is is quite often really negative. Part of that is a is a, a bipolar thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that I have to like, no, hold on a second. That's not fair. And then just kind of get into who I am. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 That that's probably a conversation for another podcast though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The othering people is kind of ingrained in our brains. It's, it's something that, like you said, it's a um, evolutionary thing for for survival, and the unfortunate thing is a lot of things uh, that are evolutionary for survival in our modern world end up becoming inconveniences um, at at the best, and yeah. um, really inhibit our ability to get along and to, or and or function the worst. So, um, othering is is a totally normal thing and it doesn't make you a a racist to for your brain to start you know sending off signals when there's an interruption in the pattern um but you have to choose what you do with those signals when they happen yeah and kind of retrain your brain um and how it thinks about those changes and interruptions and in the patterns and I think that's one of the reasons why people who live in really big cities tend to be a lot more open-minded about things because their mm-hmm. pattern is much more expansive. Yeah. Like they yeah. see people who are so different from them day, day after day after day after day. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's part of why yeah. it's so important to have that diversity in media, in, in books and in, in shows, movies all over the place, because yeah. not everyone um, grows up in diverse places and you don't always have control over that. Um, you know, people have to go where the job is. And I, like, you know, we live in a place that's not super diverse, um, ethnically or religiously. And that is a challenge because I want my kids to grow up exposed to to diversity and so one of the best ways to do that outside of you know seeking out um someday maybe living somewhere more diverse right which you know we don't have a ton of control over at this part you know this time and space in our lives um but media you know getting children's books that have main characters who don't look like my kids look yeah. And, you know, books with with diverse are diverse um, cast of characters and 
and introducing them to other cultures and that other cultures exist, I yeah. think, is really important. One of the things that we did. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. You first. Um, when we we previously lived um, in Iowa before we moved where we are now, and and we were close enough to Chicago that my kids did get a lot of exposure to um, a lot of diversity there, and we mm-hmm. actually had a, a foster daughter who was uh, her mom was white, but her her dad was black, and um, my kids, you know, they had a sister for a while who who didn't look like them and yeah um but it's something that again you're not just checking off a box like okay my kids have been exposed to (laughs) to this thing and now they're exposed to this thing and this thing you have to keep you know uh, introducing them to different cultures and and the fact that you know other people do things differently people look differently and and not to judge people um yeah, it's a it's a whole process, and if you didn't have that yourself as a kid, you have to do that whole process with yourself as an adult and yeah. with your adult brain that's not quite as malleable as a child's brain. And it's hard work, but it's worthwhile work. I yeah, think. it's uh one of the things I really like about uh, Rhodey in um in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, you know, he happens to be a, a man of color. He's also an Air Force, um, you know, officer or veteran at this point because he's disabled um, and he, like, wears leg braces and things. They're really advanced leg braces, but they're still leg braces. And so, you know, people see that and they get really excited about it, you know, no matter no matter what uh, ethnicity the the viewer happens to be you know if they're wearing leg braces they're like oh my gosh there's somebody right there and I didn't even think anything of it when I first saw it I'm like oh yeah okay but then you know people who also wear them um, got really excited and started mm-hmm. talking about it publicly and and I yeah. was like oh okay it, even just the, these tiny tiny little things well I could think of them as tiny but other people who they're actually affecting would not obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, we can just look at that as my, my incredibly privileged place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the little mermaid live action that's coming out is a really good example of that. Uh, there was a news article or maybe it was a video. I think it was a video um, of the actress playing the little mermaid, Hallie Bailey at Disneyland for some kind of, I think, promotional thing she was doing. And this little black girl saw Halle Bailey and said, it's the Little Mermaid, and runs over to her and gives her a big hug. And Halle's like crying. And and this little black girl who gets to have a Disney princess that looks like her Mm -hmm. and who loves the Little Mermaid, and now the Little Mermaid looks like her. Yeah. Like, how can you not want that? (laughs) Yeah. I just think that's the most beautiful thing. And, and like, as white people, we don't understand what it's like to grow up with all of your favorite characters not looking like you and how amazing it would feel to finally have a character that looks like you. We just don't know what that's like. And it's not fair for us to 
uh, to say, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> the original animation wasn't black, so the live action shouldn't be black. And, or, yeah. you know, J.R.R. Tolkien didn't say his elves, some of the elves were black, and so none of the elves should be black in the or, show. And, or the artwork on the cover of this novel doesn't show them as as people of color so why would they mm -hmm. be that in the movie or in the in the book mm -hmm. or the uh, the television series yeah, yeah yeah we we hear it all over the place and it's yeah it really has to be exhausting now mm -hmm. there is something else we should probably talk about that is kind of related to this and that is the idea of ignoring it or not seeing color and this one also mm -hmm. always bothered me because if you try to do that you're basically saying that um, you, you're you're ignoring a huge part of what informs that person's life, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and that just seems really kind of ridiculous to me. Yeah, it, it suggests that you're also ignoring the systemic racism and yeah. the the challenges that that person has in their life, and it's yeah. why a lot of people from different groups are embracing um, identifying terms as you know something that is part of their identity like a lot of the autistic community prefers to be called autistic and not with a person with autism mm. they like the identity first language because they're trying to get rid of this idea that autism is like a death sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of parents when they their kids are diagnosed, it's almost like they're they're burying the child they thought they had and that's a very difficult thing for a child to to see in their parents. Um and the more that people can um embrace it, the hope is that that kind of changes people's perspectives about it. Yeah. It's something that I hadn't, I hadn't really considered. You know, I mean, obviously I'm pretty open with the fact that I'm bipolar and mm -hmm. I have uh, insomnia and some other things. But, you know, I, I just, I've never really considered it because it, 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 it doesn't necessarily dictate who I am to me. Mm -hmm. Obviously it does. I mean, it, it really changes things, but mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, autism's, different because it's um the struggles that come with having autism is often or being autistic is often because of um typical society and how they treat people with different needs um and so with like adhd and, and autism with these different neurologies that don't necessarily have to come with um, comorbid struggles they often do but mm. they're not inherently uh, like a mental illness and and so they don't want it to be treated like that they don't want it to be treated like this is a disorder it's just a different way that our brains are wired yeah and most of the disability comes from the world not being accommodating in ways that it could very easily be that makes sense yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes a yeah. lot of sense then. Okay. Yeah. Um, and my my own uh, neurodiverse diagnosis is very similar in that way, where um, the community sees it as 
uh, just a different way of your brain being wired and actually kind of a positive thing a lot of the times. Um, and that the real disorder is, you know, the, there's trauma behind it and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And, um, and that's the true, the true disability, but the, the diagnosis itself isn't, it's, it's actually just a different way of your brain functioning. Yeah. I know that's super vague. <laughs> I'm not disclosing my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, but, and, and yeah, but yeah I, it's a, I certainly wouldn't want you to feel pressured too. So. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But, it, but there's also people in, who have this diagnosis who do really see it as a disorder and debilitating. So there's two sides. Yeah. Every time, you know, it's, it's always a different opinion on things. Um, and actually disability, let's talk about that one for a minute because we both would be considered disabled. Um, and in the past people who felt like disabled was a negative word and people were pushing towards the term differently abled mm-hmm. and now there's a, a new kind of uh what's the word i'm looking for movement a new sort of movement that is trying to reclaim the word disability mm-hmm. and say that's not a negative word it's just you know describing a very real thing that we have to struggle with on a daily basis yeah so there's two different camps there and it's a lot of different opinions on things and people with the same diagnoses will argue different sides of this, of the differently abled versus disabled. Well, um, so how do you feel about that? I, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to say it that way. Cause you know, when it comes to me, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a pretty thick skin and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, typically the only time I'm going to actually have this conversation is with people, uh, my friends, family, people Mm -hmm. that, you know, love me. Um, and so I'm going to, you know, have a conversation with them, other people calling me something. Yeah, whatever. Now, when it comes to other people, I'm not as heartless. Um, Mm -hmm. I want them to feel comfortable, um, with however they want me to address them, you know? Uh, so I am a big fan of co-oping the really ugly language and we're seeing it Mm -hmm. all over the place. We're seeing it over and over and over again. I would think that, uh, men and women of color have been the first ones to do it with the N word, um, Mm -hmm. you know, starting gosh, decades ago. And, um, um, obviously I'm not going to be using that word, but you know, for anybody to well, be yeah, able to look at you're that. a white guy yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah um and but anybody able anybody who is looking at a word that has been used to hurt them in the past and says nope i'm gonna go ahead and change this i'm gonna go ahead and use mm-hmm. this um myself i i think there's a power to that i think there's a lot of strength yeah, to that so absolutely yeah i agree i um i i also don't care a whole lot i i not offended if I'm labeled either thing. Um, but I'm also someone whose disability isn't super visible. And I feel like for people where it's more visible or it's more, um, impacting their, their daily life, they might have stronger feelings about it, which I totally get. Yeah. Um, because I, I also 
differ from the unmarked state in my body type. And it's, it's interesting because I've been on both sides of the fence with this one. I've been, you know, straight sized and I've been plus sized. And um, the word fat is something that I was terrified of and would have considered an insult when I was straight sized. And then when I became plus sized, that mentality was very damaging. Mm -hmm. And the movement to reclaim the word fat as something that's not an insult is something I'm really, really all for and can get behind. And I don't like the terms like, you know, the big boned or fluffy or those kind of other words people use to try not be offensive because um, I feel like that gives more power to the word fat being negative. Whereas like, I mean, fat, thin, like if thin isn't bad, why would fat be bad? And um, just <laughs> like the idea that people will straight up lie to you if you say, am, am I fat? And they'll say no. When yes, you pretty, you have fat on your body, right? Um, so that's something I'm really passionate about. And so I can totally see where people are passionate about it with the word disabled as well. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of the same as you where... Um, I don't mind what either way people use. Um, I totally love the idea of reclaiming disabled and I'm super supportive of it. And if I have a choice between the two, that's the one that I'll, I lean towards. Um, so if someone asked me what I prefer, I would just say, you know, just say disabled. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but again, like if there was somebody who you know, there is still in that mentality where that word holds a lot of negative connotation. And, you know, maybe in their past, that word has been used against them in really traumatic or, or disparaging ways. And you know what, if that's just adding negative, toxic energy to their life, then I'm happy to accommodate yeah. and, and not use that word. Yeah, the, the, the issue with weight that always kind of throws me a little bit because it's something it's one of the things we can actually you know we have more control over that than than over disability over obviously over ethnicity over orientation over you know things along those lines and i've been told that you know i i was quite a bit heavier than i am now and i lost a lot of weight and and it has been alluded that i um was making other people feel bad about themselves so, mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know that I were used the word alluded correctly there, but that's fine. I'm going to no, roll yeah, with I it understood anyway. what you meant. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it was like, huh, okay. But mm -hmm. you know, that's just the path that I've been on and, and what I've decided mm -hmm. I need to do for my own life. I, so. I mean, that's a whole nother topic and I, yeah. I relate so hard to that because I've also lost quite a bit of weight recently. Um, and it, the thing is though, for me, that's been completely out of my control. And mm. for some people it is in your control more often for men, for women, it, it's less likely to be yeah, slightly less likely to be in their control. That's not to say that lots of women don't have control over it. Yeah. Um, but there's so many factors involved with weight that, um, it often isn't in a person's control. Yeah. Genetics are a huge component. Um, yeah. Some people can be like one of the healthiest people ever and they'll, they'll be fat. 
but they're still like they could totally run circles around you in a marathon yeah. or weight you know lift weights way heavier than you can lift they eat healthier than yeah average person and they're still fat and that's just yeah you know their their genetics um but right. also there's things like pcos which is what i have that makes uh makes you gain weight and then makes it extremely difficult to lose weight and i spent a lot of uh my adult years essentially starving myself and instead of losing weight when i starved myself i gained weight when yeah. i starved myself and that's just kind of a an unfortunate thing with pcos um, and, and medication yeah. you know it, yeah if, medication will do it you too. know i'm i'm on two medications that make me gain weight and mm -hmm. um it can be rough. Like I had a physical mm -hmm. therapist. I, I was, I was flying my way to like 300 plus pounds. Mm -hmm. And, um, my, I had a physical therapist who was like, you know, you probably saved your life by, by doing this. He was like, well, coming off the medication, I'm like, dude, I'm still on the medication. He's like, what, what? So mm -hmm. it's been awful. It has mm -hmm. been so hard to do this, but yeah. I was not the guy who could run around and I want to be able mm -hmm. to, to run around more than I, than I already am. Although yeah, yeah. with my physical disability stuff, I don't know that I'm going to be, I'm not going to be able to keep up with the 20 year olds anymore. There's just no way. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, some of that is just very natural and normal yeah. as well. Um, so, but yeah, I think with the weight thing, it's all about where where when do you feel good right and yeah. right now even though i'm heavier than i was when i was you know 18 and 19 years old um like significantly heavier i am in much better shape now than i was then yeah because i because of the pcos and because of my arthritis i work out very um regularly and, and almost religiously because if I don't, then I start getting arthritis flare-ups. Yeah, and I have to. I have to keep up with it, um, and I do it in a way that's enjoyable to me and and not like a chore, which is yeah. the key thing. Yeah. Um. But I'm I'm healthier now, and and in better shape now than um, ever in my life before, and and much heavier than I was. Yeah. Previously. And one of the things last kind of thing that i want to point out is that what you'll notice hopefully during this conversation is when we have touched on things that you and i are dealing with that we've been we've been exercising a lot of empathy we've been showing empathy mm -hmm. and that is actually i think the trick more than anything else to yeah. um writing the other to dealing with the other in any way shape mm -hmm. or form is exercise a whole lot of empathy because you don't know yeah absolutely yeah um and we could go on forever on this topic, I think, <laughs> yeah. but but that is our time for the day. All right. We've been your hosts, Ludlow Adams. And Jay Escarity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible.